really, as we think about older adults and climate change, one of the things that stands out to me is that it's not just something that future generations have to worry about. The, the threats are very real right now. And we're really at a point where we're no longer thinking about, well, what will happen when climate change occurs? We're living through it. And so we all have to be engaged and prepared. We can only pretend that things aren't changing for so long. You know, if things are increasingly getting warmer, we're seeing the effects for the first time, really seeing the effects in new ways. Hello and welcome to Aging Matters, a program featuring timely topics for older adults and their families. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Climate change can affect the environment in ways that cause increased stress on everyone, especially older adults. This population is most at risk because of decreased mobility resulting from age, changes in physiology, and more restricted access to resources. My guest today is Dr. Aaron Guest, socio-environmental gerontologist and assistant professor of aging at Arizona State University. He will explain how climate change is harming older adults who have serious illnesses and making them more vulnerable to physical and mental health problems. He'll also talk about health providers and how they're addressing these issues for their patients and the concept of raising awareness about the effects of climate change. So welcome, Aaron, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here to talk about this really critical issue. Indeed. And I want to really get into this, but before we start talking specifically about older adults, I think it would be helpful for our listeners to understand some of the the definitions and the concepts and the terms that we keep hearing about. So let's start out by asking you to define climate change. And is there a difference between climate change and global warming? And talk also as part of your response about the major causes of climate change and global warming, if there's a difference. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think in part that question points to how we have come to think of these terms over the last 40 or 50 years. Traditionally, we talked a lot about global warming. And global warming really can be thought of as that gradual increase in the Earth's temperature. And we know that global temperatures are rising. It's been well documented that that's occurring since you know, really the early 20th century, and most notably since the late 1970s. Overall, worldwide, we know that since 1880, the average surface temperature of the Earth has risen about two degrees Fahrenheit. And of course, that varies globally, some areas having higher increases than others. That's a little bit different than climate change in the sense that climate change is the change in our global weather patterns. And it encompasses global warming, but it also encompasses a lot more. It, it looks at climate change really is the long-term shifts in temperature and weather patterns. And these include things like rising sea levels, shrinking mountain glaciers, the melting of the ice caps, you know, accelerated ice melt, the changes in seasons, including, you know, plant blooming times, as well as the consequences of this warming, which is caused mainly by people burning fossil fuels and putting out heat, trapping gases into the air. 
I would say one thing that we often talk about is that climate change and weather are also different in that weather refers to those short-term changes in the atmosphere. So, you know, the difference between it being sunny one day and rainy the next, whereas climate refers to these changes over a long period of time. We often look at these these periods of time in terms of 30, 40, 50 years. Increasingly, as we learn more about how we've altered the environment, looking at it over periods of 100, 200 years as technologies advance. As we think about the major drivers of climate change and the you know associated global warming, you know some of these shifts may be natural. We do know that there have been shifts in climate throughout the Earth's history. But what we also know is that human activity has really accelerated these changes in a very, very rapid way. We often think of climate change and the associated global warming as being products of the Industrial Revolution. So things such as manufacturing, large-scale farming, power generation, the burning of fossil fuels, both for energy and transportation, uh, the mass deforestation of forests throughout the world, the Amazon being one example. And collectively, these have kind of resulted in what people may be familiar with hearing called the greenhouse effect, which is really that the atmosphere is trapping more heat in the Earth's atmosphere rather than releasing it. Obviously, fossil fuels, things such as coal, oil, and gas are by far the largest contributors, accounting for almost over 75% of the global greenhouse gas emissions. But there's other smaller things that are also contributing, whether it be, you know, large-scale farming changes in our forestry, our tree landscape. And really, as we think about this, I think one of the things we really kind of fall back on is, you know... since starting really in the 1970s, when we first started looking at this, it's become increasingly clear. In fact, it's really gone as the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change states, we've gone from this idea of human activity being a major driver, if not the driver, of the rapid warming of the climate system from theory to established fact. With all of this going on, I mean, one of the things that, as I was preparing these questions for you, I looked up uh, or or saw a reference to something called environmental factors. And I wanted to know what those are and do these really affect the aging process? How is the aging and uh, older adults being uh, impacted by climate change that's going on? We all obviously live in a specific environment. We're, we're all exposed to different environments throughout our day throughout our lives. Um, And the effects of these environments and what they can have and the effect they can have on health vary between individuals. We can think about someone who has predominantly lived in rural, a rural environment all of their lives in a farming community. They're going to have different environmental exposures than someone who has predominantly lived in an urban community. When we think about the environmental factors of aging, you know, we can think about them in a, a few ways. We can think about them specifically based on location that an individual is living. But, you know, broadly, they also refer to the factors that are present in our environment, whether they be based on individual's occupational exposure, the location that we live, where we were born, where we grew up, where we've moved to, the environments that we pass through, whether for leisure or other reasons. And these environmental factors can really shape us from the cellular level up. They are. They can be the result of 
environmental factors relating to air, climate, water, soil, you know, urban environments that we are exposed to. And critically, these factors are cumulative, meaning that the constant exposure continuously builds. One acute example of that might be staying in the sun after already burnt. So just because, you know, if for those of us that have been sunburned, you know, just because you're already sunburnt doesn't mean you won't become more burned if you stay out there. You know, the moment you start feeling that you're getting a little red, you know, you should go in or put on sunscreen. But if you don't, the longer you stay out, the more burnt you would become. And in a lot of ways, environmental factors that influence aging and influence health are a lot like that. The longer that we're around them, the more adverse health effects they could have. Other environmental factors might be more one-time exposures. For example, someone, you know, I'll go back to the example of someone growing up in a rural community. We often think of rural communities as being somewhat, you know, healthier or less less threatening than urban environments for some of these environmental exposures. But the reality is, you know, think about the chemicals that you're exposed to living um, in rural environments, particularly around farming communities. Think about the perhaps challenges in accessing fresh water or think about the challenges that could come from if you live downstream or downwind from some large scale farming communities or producers. And kind of those air particulates are those exposures are really what we're talking about. And they're very different from the exposures that you might have living in an urban environment where perhaps industry or transportation are producing many of the environmental factors that you're being exposed to. I guess what I'm hearing about these environmental factors, and wow, you have a lot of them to share with us, is that it makes good sense that older adults really need to care about climate change and what's occurring. Absolutely. And, you know, in part because we know that older adults face increased risks from these exposures to these environmental contaminants and environmental factors. Just as part of our normal aging process, our bodies really become more susceptible to these environmental health threats and they can worsen chronic health conditions. So, for example, if we think about environmental um, air pollutants and chemicals, so the CDC, you know, just notes that climate change can actually increase the number of these outdoor air pollutants. So this could rather be something like particulate matter, which is what we often talk about out west when it comes to wildfire smoke, but also things like dust from droughts. As a result, the air pollution can actually increase the risk of heart attacks for older adults, especially those who are diabetic. And also the air pollutants can affect and worsen conditions like asthma and COPD. As we think about this, we know that there are environmental risk factors that influence the developments of conditions such as Parkinson's, Alzheimer's disease, and diabetes, for example. And one of the things we're increasingly working on understanding is exactly what are these mechanisms and how do they occur and what level of exposure matters. We talk about things such as the air a lot and water, but you know, even soil, individuals who have lived in environments with tainted soil, whether through industrialization or chemical dumping, also have more adverse health outcomes, including things related to cancer. So I think older adults, as we think about older adults and climate change, yes, absolutely, they should be concerned and active, if not only for the health effects, which I think the you know health effects are very 
concerning, but also the social changes that can result from the changing climate, including, you know, the increase in natural disasters, the ability to easily move from location to location, the fact that climate change can really exacerbate pre-existing conditions that exist, but it also can increase the range of existing diseases. It can affect individuals' economic well-being with changes of, of you know, climate change disasters and things affecting industry, which can affect individuals' retirement income. And so I think really as we think about older adults and climate change, one of the things that stands out to me is that it's not just something that future generations have to worry about. The, the threats are very real right now, and we're really at a point where we're no longer thinking about, well, what will happen when climate change occurs? We're living through it, and so we all have to be engaged and prepared. And you've been mentioning a, a lot already about the physical changes and even referencing social activities. What about mental health? Has there been any studies looking at the mental health of folks? Uh, obviously, sometimes you hear about cognitive issues, but but even as time goes on, mental health uh, status changes because of maybe sensory. People can't hear as well as they can't see as well. Talk a little bit about mental health and how that might be impacted as a result of uh, climate change. You know, I've already kind of hinted at the fact that we know that certain, it seems that certain particulates and certain environmental exposures, particularly related to air quality, water, and soil, do seem to result in increased rates of dementia and other cognitive declines. But what we also know is that the effects of climate change can also result in increased social isolation and vulnerability, meaning that with the increase in extreme weather events, such as, you know, increased heat, increased rain, increased flooding, it is easier for older individuals to become socially isolated, to be cut off from their support networks, or in the case of natural disasters, even, for example, the increase in flooding and wildfires we see um, throughout the United States, the fact that if individuals' homes are destroyed or they're forced to relocate, they really lose that supportive network that they've become accustomed to. They lose their friend network. They lose their social supports, which can, of course, lead to depression and even accelerated mortality or accelerated death. We also have to worry about how this affects individuals' support systems. For one of the things that, we, that increasingly we're looking at is the effect of climate and depression. So, if you take, you know, I will pick on the environment I'm in, which is Phoenix, Arizona. If you look at us sometimes during the summer when it's 115 degrees outside and individuals are not able to go outside, they're not able to travel, then you're alone. And so it's easy to become, you know, depressed from those experiences. We're also seeing increased rates of depression just related to climate change as it stands because of this feeling of kind of you know, like, well, what's the point? Have we de have we destroyed the planet, you know, for lack of a better word? Like, how do I think about my future? Do I even have a future here? Particularly as we look at certain deadline, you know, deadlines set by different governmental bodies, thinking about deadlines around 2030, 2050, and people are projecting out, thinking that, you know, I'm 65 now, I'll be 85 by 2050. What's, if, all these things come true. What is the world going to be like for me then? What is the world going to be like for my children and my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren? So I think we're, we're just really in a lot of ways at the surface of understanding the mental 
health effects of climate change. We often talk about depression, but some of the studies that are being done now are really looking at things like what's the role of the environment and climate change in the development of things such as bipolar disorder or schizophrenia? Can we look at these things and perhaps understand more about why we're seeing some increased rates and declining rates of mental health? So, Aaron, you've been talking a lot about extreme heat and air pollution, which is depressing to think that this is going to continue. But I wanted to turn to a couple of other factors that we hear about in connection with climate change. One of them relates to the spread of illness by ticks and mosquitoes. Talk a little bit more about that and how this can affect older adults. Yeah, thank you for that question. And I think that this is something that is particularly relevant right now in the United States. So one of the effects that we're seeing is that with the increased warming and the changes in climate is that ranges of vectors, animals, if you will, um, are increasing. And as a result of that, we're seeing changes in the spread of things such as ticks and mosquitoes. Not only that, we're seeing changes in their breeding seasons. So when it rains, you know, obviously mosquitoes often reproduce in things of pools of water. And as there's either increased rain or the weather is changing in such a way that there's increased amounts of water being exposed, if you think of things such as hurricanes or increased rates of flooding that can really deluge an area and result in increased um, pools of water in that area, we're seeing the spread of ticks and mosquitoes really rapidly increase. And as a result of this, not only are their breeding seasons becoming longer, and not only is it becoming more difficult to address them and address, you know, to and by address, I mean to, you know, basically exterminate them in new environments and new areas where they're growing. But we're also seeing the spread of things such as Lyme disease through through this, in, this increase in kind of spread overall. So we're seeing increases in things like Lyme disease, uh, valley fever, and a host of other kind of new, you know, new diseases that we're still learning about. If you think about the spread of Zika, which was almost 10 years ago now, it's hard to believe, you know, that was kind of one of those canary in the gold mi- uh, coal mine moments, if you will, because it was the first time that we really saw it spread so rapidly and so quickly, in part because the range of mosquitoes and the length of time that mosquitoes were able to stay alive was increasing because of the different seasons. When we don't have appropriate cold seasons in parts of the United States and globally, it can really affect the kill-off or, you know, the die-off of the populations kind of in the natural cycle. And so you're having more and more mosquitoes live longer and longer and to antics as well live longer time longer amounts of times and you're having them kind of go into seasons and into months that we're not used to and these may be months uh, you know thinking for the thinking about those in the south southern united states where i'm from who often you know we have hunting seasons and so all of a sudden we're being exposed to new ticks to new diseases that maybe weren't traditionally there during the hunting seasons because of the weather. But now because it's warmer out, they're actually living longer. It's also becoming easier for them to be transported by um, animals and others because of the changes in range of these of animals related to climate change. That As groups move to look for more food, to extend the feeding season because 
of climate change or access food sources that are no longer available. As they move, they're bringing new vector diseases and other conditions into areas they traditionally were not in. And so one of the things that I really think the you know CDC, as well as other groups, many state public health departments are focusing on is understanding more about why are there these changes in range and how can we best be prepared to address these changes in ranges. And it's not just ticks and mosquitoes. You know, those are the e- those are kind of the easy ones to look at. But we're seeing changes in ranges in range for a host of insects, including the introduction of spiders and beetles from states that traditionally they were not in or that are now able to survive the international trade process, you know, essentially being able to stay alive on ships and then enter the United States in new ways. Well, it's obvious that there is uh, a lot of concerns in terms of bugs like ticks and mosquitoes. And I wanted to get into a couple of more possible conditions that we're hearing about that uh, can impact uh, older adults. One of them is allergies and the relationship between allergies and climate change. And then also asthma. We hear about uh, the possibility of a relationship between asthma and climate change. Talk about those two conditions and how um, climate change is affecting older adults. Yeah, no, you know, as an allergy sufferer myself, I I become acutely aware of the effect of climate change on allergies. You know, really, as we think about allergies, they, they're kind of these common chronic conditions that happen when our immune system is introduced to an unknown irritant and something that's foreign. And basically, our body overreacts by producing antibodies, even if it's not harmful. Seasonal allergies, which many of us suffer from, can be fairly uncomfortable. I I know for me that I experience, you know, a lot of skin and eye irritation, sneezing, nasal congestions throughout different parts of the year. But one of the things that we're now seeing as it relates to allergies is that the allergy season actually has become longer and more intense, more intense overall. And, you know, I was looking at some recent data where allergies are actually call resulting in almost like 3.8 million missed work and school days each year. The work by the American Public Health Association and Eco America, which are two great organizations that are really addressing this, have undertaken some work to understand more about kind of the effects of allergies and asthma. And one of the things that they pointed out is that asthma is now responsible for nearly 2 million emergency department visits each year, in part because of increased environmental exposures resulting in increased rates of asthma. And not only asthma among younger children, which is what we've traditionally seen, but also individuals developing asthma later in life. And that if we just look at the cost of things like asthma and allergies, it's upwards of 50 six billion dollars per year in cost one of the things that really stands out to me about the relationship between climate change and allergies in older adults is that we're as with most things we're learning more in fact some colleagues um in europe uh lushkova just has actually looked at that the fact that you know the fact that the climate warming climate warming climate change is altering our existing ecosystems it's actually also making them more susceptible to invasion by species that are be- a- better able to tolerate the heat and to tolerate the pathogens. As a result, the pathogen profiles or what we're being exposed to is changing quite rapidly. 
our bodies aren't necessarily able to respond as quickly. And so as the pathogen profiles are changing, the transmission of vector-borne diseases are increasing. The milder weather is also introducing increases in air pollution. And this collectively, this kind of change in the species of plants that are around, as well as the changes in weather, are resulting in the introduction of new allergens into environments. So allergens that people may have not traditionally been exposed to, but are now being exposed to, that they're then developing allergies later in life to new things. Um, One of the things I think that we're really concerned about is what this will look like long term as the allergy profile in the United States begins to shift because allergy season becomes longer. We know that climate change is making our air less healthy to breathe and that poor air quality can affect allergies and asthma. And this can happen through a variety of ways. So one of the things we look at is ambient air pollution, which is the amount of airborne um, particulate or pollutants. And we kind of already talked about that when it comes to things like wildfires, but it can also be from just normal everyday transportation, the living in a city living near factories, living near plants. Um, We're really concerned because people with asthma were already more susceptible to these changes, to the changes kind of in air quality. But with the changes becoming so drastic, you have to begin to worry about how are we going to address, you know, these increased rates of asthma and how are we going to be able to ensure that we're able to respond to both the chronic long lasting asthma, but also individuals who have acute, acute cases, asthma that people who have never had or experienced an asthma attack, but all of a sudden have, have one. How are they going to, you know, respond the other thing I would add about that is one of the reasons we care about asthma so much is there are there are a lot of links between asthma and adverse cardiovascular or adverse heart health. And as we look at older adults and we look at particularly bodily changes and changes in our body systems, you know, the cardiovascular system is one that we are often concerned about. One of the other things I do want to add to this is some of the direct ways that climate change is really influencing asthma as well as allergies. And if we kind of look at really, I guess, two two examples of pollen and mold. So we know that pollen is a major driver of allergies, but longer warm seasons are resulting in longer pollen seasons and therefore longer allergy seasons, as we've already mentioned. Higher temperatures, changes in uh, precipitation, rain, they're all really changing the increased rates of carbon dioxide level, which are affecting plant growth patterns, which are all together contributing to longer and more intense allergy seasons, as well as allergy seasons that are bringing new allergens into new environments. We also look at it in terms of mold. Uh, Mold growth is related related to the increased storms, increased flooding, precipitation, and humidity. And there's a lot of types of molds, but mold um, can be hazardous to our health by decreasing the overall air quality in our homes, schools, work environments, wherever we may be, stores we're in. And it can cause respiratory irritation, which is, of course, a common trigger for asthma and allergies. And the reactions to mold exposures are, you know, really worrisome because 
they can take time to develop, which means that by the time you're showing symptoms, irreparable damage may be done, but also that they can further exacerbate asthma and result in even a, a more weakened immune system. And so we're really concerned about this from multiple fronts, just because when we look at climate change and we look at things like increased hurricane season, increased wet seasons, increased flooding on the coast, as well as increased growing seasons throughout the United States, asthma and allergies are something that will become increasingly an area of concern for individuals. And I think even more so as people try to move, if you will, from allergies and asthma. We know that often in retirement and later life, people like to change their environment, perhaps to get away from allergens that have been bothering them. But whereas I think many of the locations that people used to travel to offered some release, uh, relief, I, I think what people will find is as they move around more, they're going to be exposed to even more allergens and even some of the same allergens that they may have been trying to get away from. Thank you. That is really a, a lot of information talking about our respiratory system and our lungs. And so I'd like to move a little bit down in our bodies to our stomachs and uh, the digestive system. And I have seen uh, information out there about the relationship between climate change and our food. Talk more about that and also how that might impact on our older adults. Yeah, you know, the relationship between climate change and food production, as well as, you know, just food overall, uh, as it relates to what we eat and enjoy, it's one of those things that we're drawing, you know, I keep saying we're drawing more attention to or we're understanding more, but the reality is that's really where we're at. You know, we are now that we now have the data and the support to kind of really understand a lot of these things more. You know, I guess we have to take a few steps back to say that one of the major challenges that I think we've all experienced has been the movement away from very small scale farming to these kind of larger industrial scale farms. My grandparents were all farmers on all sides. And so I grew up around farms and I go back now and, you know, kind of even though they were fairly large, you know, they're nothing compared to the large farms and agriculture producing regions that have kind of sprung up. We know that large-scale industrial farming is a, one of the ma is a major driver of climate change, in part because of the chemicals used to ensure um, harvest, in part because of the pr large presence of animals and the animal byproduct that result in increased um, greenhouse gas emissions. But I think what we're also seeing is that beyond that, really our food ecosystem is changing. In the sense that, you know, not only does the agriculture sector emit and produce kind of these greenhouse gases that contribute to climate change, but they're also a major, you know, they're also heavily being affected by it in terms of where they can and cannot grow certain produce, where they can and cannot, you know, transport certain produce anymore because it has become too essentially hot or it's become too financially difficult to transport produce because produce that you would have traditionally had to keep, you know, just fresh, you're now having to transport in refrigerated trucks. You're seeing it in terms of, you know, large-scale farming that was set up to produce certain, certain aspects of produce 
are now no longer able to do so. One of the major examples being coffee bean production. I, you know, I love my morning coffee, but one of the great concerns we have is the coffee really only grows in a very just narrow band um, on the earth. And that area is increasing. That The heat in that area is increasing, and it's increasing in such a way that might become maladaptive for the growth of coffee. And so what does it look What do alternative means of growing coffee look like? You know, we also have to consider the effect of this on what it means for prices. And so when we look at the food that we eat and we look, see the increase in prices, you know, part of it is a result of climate change in the sense that it's becoming more expensive to produce this food, to keep it, to keep it fresh, to deliver it to the consumer in a way that's economically viable. We are, I think, in the next few years, we're going to see this around things such as pineapples, where we have to consider new sources of like where we're getting our pineapples from, perhaps even increasing our imports of pineapples from Europe um, and Portugal specifically. I think we're going to increasingly see the we see this movement towards alternative meat in part because I, I you know, increased awareness of the climate and the effect that these large scale farms are having on the climate. One of the things that we will continue to face, I think, is the fact that it is becoming harder to keep animals alive in certain conditions or places that traditionally were home to animals that we, if you eat meat, um, hunt for food or grow for food, are becoming more difficult to do so. And so the cost of keeping, you know, cows alive is increasing. The cost of feeding them is increasing because all of a sudden their grain supply is no longer able to support them because of extreme climate events are either shortening the growing season, destroying the growing season, or altering it. We look at what's happened the last several years in Georgia and Florida related to the peach crop, where I believe it was last year something like 90% of the Georgia peach crop was destroyed because of late year freezes. And these events that were really kind of very uncommon events that, yes, they occurred, are now occurring year after year after year. And so areas that have built the, their economy on the production of certain certain food items are having to alter. And in some cases, there's nothing to alter to because the climate has changed that drastically. And so not only do we look at it in terms the effect of climate change on kind of our diet in terms of what it means for the access to food, the cost of food, the availability of food, but also kind of how these combined environmental exposures are affecting things related to the actual digestion of food. Aaron, I wanted to get back to focusing on how climate change is affecting older adults and the relationship with their physicians. Obviously, you know, you've mentioned a lot of happenings that are occurring as a result of climate change, but I want to hear more about how this is affecting the services and support that older adults need, and especially because of a lot of impact on health. What are physicians and health providers doing to recognize these increased health risks and how are they helping um, uh, the older adults and, and perhaps thinking about treatment options for this population? I think to answer that, we take, you know, take a bit of a step back and we think about what are those unique circumstances that make it a bit more difficult for older adults to prepare 
for respond or survive these climate change events. And we look at things like complex medical conditions that impact the physical, sensory, or cognitive abilities of individuals. We look at things such as dependency on caregivers. We look at things such as just the normal aging process that results in you know, decreased mobility, the loss of muscle tone. We look at things like cognitive impairments or the dependency on medication and life-sustaining equipment that might be unavailable or difficult to come by in, you know, climate emergencies. And we look at the rise of things around the social drivers of health, like economic security, substandard housing that can impact are these things that we call the threat multipliers. Physicians and medical professionals, one of the things that they're really, they take into consideration now is that when they meet with individuals and when they, you know, perhaps diagnose individuals with certain conditions, they're asking those questions now. They're asking those, all right, so you need oxygen, but I also see that you live in an area that is prone to high winds, high temperatures, flooding. What is your emergency plan to get oxygen if something was to happen? Or, you know, I see that you are dependent on care from your daughter to bring you to these appointments, but your daughter lives two hours away. If there was an emergency, what happens? Now, we've always asked that question as it relates to emergencies, such as like, what if you need to go to the hospital? But now we're asking that question in relation to things such as what happens if there's a heat emergency and you need to get out? What is your plan? Physicians and medical providers are really doing a lot to document these and to have these conversations about how conditions such as asthma and allergies are exacerbated by the changing environment and what could be done or what could be done to mitigate these. One of the great organizations out there doing a lot in this space, it's a partnership group, it's called Climate RX. And one of the things that it aims to do is to educate physicians, educate medical providers on the effects of climate change and to make information and resources available to the physicians to share with their patients. And in fact, one of the things that I'm a big fan that they do is they actually have a badge that many physicians around here will wear that says, ask me about how climate affects your health. And that can be one way that the conversation really gets started about, you know, you say that you are experiencing a lot of asthma. Let's really delve into that a little bit more and understand more about the environment that you're living in that could be exacerbating these. And so we've moved, I, in a lot of ways, from this model of, all right, you have this disease. I'm going to give you a medication to let me understand more about why this disease is occurring or why this condition is occurring and how we can work together to mitigate the effects and understand more about how your environment might be influencing that. As well as, I think, increased concern particularly in areas that I've seen a you know, rapid increase in disasters of what is your care plan in the event of an emergency? You know, no one ever wants to be in an emergency situation, but if there is one, how can we be prepared that you can still have access to your medication, that you can have access to your life-sustaining equipment? And I'll just say one last thing on this, which is to say one of the fascinating things going on right now in the from the federal government is a lot of funding focusing on this very question. How do we design medical equipment that is less bulky, that is easier to transport, that can be brought in and out, that can be rapidly delivered? How can we make things easier for people to move with because we know these things are going to happen? 
You know, we know that evacuations are going to increase. We know that because of the aging of our population, that there will be more older adults in hurricanes, experiencing hurricanes. And so how do we ensure that they have the care? And we're taking practices we've learned from previous disasters but and looking to employ them and to learn from them. FEMA is doing a lot of work in this area because of this exact kind of concern. And is there also an effort to teach older adults and their care partners and their families, if that's appropriate, how to lessen the effects of climate change on their health? You've talked already about preparation in case there needs to be, whether evacuation or some other kind of situation. But I'm wondering if there's a more of a focus from physicians or other kinds of healthcare providers to teach older adults and their care partners about how they can themselves lessen the risk of, of climate change, and especially if they might have certain uh, health conditions that would make them more vulnerable. What could you tell our listeners that they should be mindful of if in this, in this crisis that we're trying to deal with? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think one of the things that we're increasingly seeing is the promotion and, you know, just broadly the education about what the impacts are and how you might mitigate them. But things that directly listeners might consider and that, you know, I think physicians are talking about is that we still need to remain physically active. But perhaps you look in your environment and you see that the air quality is very poor in the late afternoon. And so it's more advantageous for you to be physically active during the early morning. So you're exposed to less particulates and pollutants. You know, one of the things that I recommend everyone does is that they develop an emergency plan. Um, you know, you should always have an emergency plan, but particularly one that I think considers these extreme events. What we've learned is that we often rely on things such as our cell phones and internet in the event of an emergency. Well, what do you do when you don't have those? How do you get in contact with individuals? Is there a place that you should meet if there is an emergency? If there is a snowstorm, should your loved one stay at home and people will come to them and you know they're there or should they try to leave before the emergency? I think we also want to recognize the positive effects that green space has in terms of fostering mental well-being and the fact that spending time in nature can be positive. And we want to encourage more of that, but we want to encourage it in ways that expose people to fewer allergens if possible, or if they are exposed to allergens, that they know what the allergens are and that they're prepared. Um, for example, that they might have an EpiPen if they need it. We know that one of the things that can be really supportive is the, you know, the good news is sustainable diets that really focus on fresh fruit, produce, meats, and things like that. Not only are they good for the environment, but they're also very healthy for you um, in terms of physical well-being. And so identifying and talking with your medical provider and your family about what is an ideal diet for me and how might this diet, you know, be influenced by climate change or how can I use it to um, better my own health. One of the things I think that everyone should do if they have not done is they should talk with their medical provider about understanding the risk, the health risk, and they should follow the recommendations the best they can. One of the things that unfortunately I don't think we follow enough is when we talk about you know air quality and staying inside because there's an air quality alert, or when we talk about things such as 
you know, avoiding going outside because of the sun's rays, you know, wearing sunscreen. I also think that as much as possible, individuals should ask their doctors about what they believe are the greatest threats facing, you know, given their unique medical history um, in the climate and how they can mitigate that. Many, many medical providers are willing to talk about it, but they don't have time or they don't bring it up in appointments. And so I would really encourage people to talk with their medical providers. The other thing I would say, I think older adults are particularly need to consider and caregivers and loved ones need to consider is when you think about your loved one who might be in a facility, whether it's a nursing home, a hospital, an assisted living facility, you want to know like what is their emergency preparedness plan? And not just for like if there's a fire, but increasingly in natural disasters, what we're seeing is that individuals are and facilities are unprepared for things like snow, massive snowstorms, hurricane, flooding. And I think it's really critical that we push the industry in that direction and that we push for our own knowledge to ensure that our loved ones are in places that are prepared for these events. And I wanted to take that one step further as we share about all of these recommendations that you're giving of being prepared and aware, uh, awareness and prevention I'm also wondering if in your uh, in your circumstances and your knowledge, are you seeing that older adults are understanding the relationship between climate change and the impact on future generations? And are they looking more to uh, making an effort to reach out as far as legislation or regulation or talking with their um, uh, government officials? to to talk about what changes need to occur in their communities. What, what are you seeing? Your last question really kind of, it brought home to me that when we think about, when we talk about climate change, it often sounds like we're talking about emergency preparedness. And a lot of the times we are. So I, you know, I, just so the readers know that, that we were talking about climate change, but emergency preparedness goes so hand in hand. For a long time, there was this kind of incorrect assumption, I think, that older generations wouldn't be interested in climate change because it's, you know, that quite honestly, it's viewed as something that wouldn't affect them, um, that it would be so far in the future that they wouldn't care. What we've what has happened, though, is the effects of climate change have accelerated, you know, from the 1980s and 1990s to today. We're really seeing that not only are older adults energized and act and active in this area, but they recognize the impact for both future generations and themselves. They recognize that they, you know, this is the kind of world or this is the kind of environment that I'm going to be living my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, but it's also the world that I'm living in right now. It's the world that I'm living in and that I'm experiencing these extreme hate events, that I'm extreme experiencing these changes in, in climate, these increase in food prices, these increase in energy prices, these increasing number of poor air quality days that we have, these increased rates of, you know, smog days where I can't go outside. And they're really taking an active approach in their older years to advocate for change. I think this is being driven in part because of the climate itself, but also in part because of the economic realities that and the health realities that the changing climate is resulting in, that they're seeing that their 
children and grandchildren aren't able to have the same opportunities that they were. And they want to really advocate for bettering the climate, not only to sustain the world, but also to ensure that their loved ones have a quality of life. We're seeing this through things such as, you know, increased advocacy related to letters to the editor. Um, The groups such as the American Society on Aging has made climate change one of their five pillars. Um, AARP is increasingly focusing on the the effects of climate change in livable communities because they're seeing the effects that it is having on individuals' mental, emotional, and physical well-being. There are groups such as the Elder uh, Elders Climate Action, which bring together older adults in communities, and there's chapters all over the United States, to advocate for addressing climate change and bringing it to the attention of local legislators. Because a lot of the work that we can do, a lot of the like on-the-ground work we can do is in the local community and in the local states. There's groups such as the American Lung Association, for example. They have a state chapter in every state, and they have really made climate change one of their priorities because of the effect it's having on the quality of air and the increased rates of allergies and asthma. I think one of the things we sometimes lose sight of is that really this generation of older adults are also the generation that experienced the first, you know, Earth Day. And we're seeing that continue on into older adulthood as individuals are trying to identify new ways to promote consumer choice, to promote sustainable practices, but also, from my perspective, to develop these really unique intergenerational opportunities where individuals are advocating together and kind of the next generation of advocates are learning from the people who advocated in the 70s and 80s and 90s, which is really exciting for me to see. And I don't. I also don't want to discount the fact that many of these advocates are bringing a history that others don't have. So when you talk to someone and they remember the last drought in the 1970s or 1960s, and they can say this is the worst we've ever had, you know, I think that means something. We we have very short attention spans in some regards, and so when you have someone there saying that. This has never happened. It's one thing to you know read about it. It's another thing to have people there who have actual lived experience. And so I'm really excited for as this continues because we are seeing increased advocacy and we're seeing it in ways I don't think we've saw in in years past and for other 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 areas. Just because climate and environment, I think, are one of the great equalizers. As a follow-up question to that, I'm wondering if it makes a difference. It seems so often that you read about these uh, activities and people are reaching out and uh, being uh, attempting to be proactive, whether it's uh, older adults or young people uh, trying to take a stand, and yet there's often, it seems to be, uh, resistance. Uh, do you think that will change? I'm just wondering what what we see as our future. Is it going to be worse or is it going to be better? You know, I think it's going to have to change. I, I, I don't think we really have a choice. No, we can, we, can, we can only pretend that things aren't changing for so long. You know, if things are increasingly getting warmer, we're seeing the effects, you know, for the first time, I would say we're really seeing the effects in new ways. So we look at the challenges associated with the airline industry for right now, for example. And a lot of that over the summer can be traced back and even into the winter can be traced back to changes in climate. All of a sudden, it's colder and snowing more. 
you know, planes cannot take off in certain heats. The cost of fuel is becoming more prohibitive because it's becoming harder to find. I think we're we're going to have to change, and I think we're seeing small victories. You know, going back to the local example, one of the things that has happened in my local community recently is the installation of chilled water um, dispensers, free chilled water dispensers downtown and in other environments, so that during these heat emergencies, people have somewhere to go. That during these heat emergencies, there are shelters. In other communities, we're seeing the extension of warming shelters longer into the year. We are seeing changes in the availability and the development of walking tracks that are indoor because the air quality is no longer um, appropriate for individuals outside. And so I I choose to believe that we will respond and we will continue to respond in part because I don't think there's another option. People will either this quite literally is a matter of life and death for future generations. And so we either respond now are it's going to be too late. Well, that's definitely a a good way of stating it. So we're just about out of time, Aaron. Uh, You had mentioned already some resources, uh, uh, organizations, and uh, places that folks can learn more information. Did you want to share anything else or just repeat some of the resources that you've uh, mentioned already that older adults and their families might be interested uh, to hear about um, in connection with the relationship between climate change and the health of older adults? Yeah, you know, there are, I guess, two that, re- well, three that really come to mind. The first one I would say is I ensure, encourage people to look at the AARP Livable Communities resources. And if you just search AARP Livable Communities, they have a great grouping of resources that really can assist individuals in processing and thinking about a lot of these factors. I also, if people are wanting to learn more about how climate change affects health and what is being done, there is a group called the Climate Change and Older Adult Health Resource Clearinghouse that's operated out of Cornell University. And it is a wonderful resource to see the latest uh, the latest science on climate change. And then the final thing that I would really mention, in addition to ClimateRx, which is a great resource for health information, but the CDC has really dedicated some resources to identifying, including wonderful fact sheets that focus on climate change and health among older adults, and really delves into much more of the specific um, conditions that individuals might experience and how they can be affected by or altered by changes in the climate. I think this is such a critical issue that we don't talk enough about that affects us all. And I really encourage both older adults and their caregivers to ask their medical professionals, how is the climate and how is the environment that I'm in affecting my health? And I think they might be surprised about how small changes can really result in very positive health outcomes. Good advice for our listeners. Well, I want to thank Dr. Aaron Guest who is a socio-environmental gerontologist and assistant professor of aging at Arizona State University. Thank you so much for joining us today. To learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, when you log on to this site, you can access all of the Aging Matters radio programs, the TV show episodes, and you can also log on to the Aging Matters podcast on Apple and Spotify. So be sure to check that out. 
Aging Matters is produced in association with Steve Flack Audio. To learn more about that company, log on to steveflackaudio.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week.